Before we get started, before any of this starts, I'd like to remind you that you can experience an ad-free version of this by clicking the link in the description that says plus.acast.com slash s slash Radio Free Catholic. May God bless you and the Virgin protect you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Exorgat Deus Dissipentur Dinimici Eius. Et fugiancio derunteum afacia eius. Let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. Let all those who hate him flee from before his face. With this episode, I had a whole bunch of other stuff that I had planned. There's some other stuff that I am kind of accumulating and working on. Hopefully I can get the biggest parts of it out there. Because there's... I've got a multi-part series that's going to be going over the events that are currently happening, kind of laying out the battlefield. Um, but this one kind of yanked me up off of my behind and said, hey, you need to talk about this right now. This is Caleb the Mechanic with Radio Free Catholic. Let's get started with a prayer. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Santa Michael Arcangela, defendenos in plorelio. Contra nequitiam et insidias, diaboli esto praesidium. Imperetili deus, suplicis de precamur, tuque princeps militae calestis, satana maliosque spiritus malignos, que ad perditionem animarum, pervegantur in mundo divina virtute, in infernum ne trude. Amen. Cor Jesus sacratissimum miserere nobis. Mater dolorosa, ora pro nobis. Beatis Carolus domo Austriae, ora pro nobis. Domine, ostende facem tuum et salvi erimus, Ave Maria Purissima, Immaculata Conceptio Est. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. I do want to apologize for being away before I get started too deep into this. I've been away for a while. Obviously, um, things have been happening. It's been a very difficult Lent. Um, God be praised for that, because that's kind of what Lent is supposed to be. It's been... A very busy time at work. Spent a lot more time at work than I think I would have preferred. Certainly, certainly more time than than is healthy if you want to try and keep a run podcast running regularly. Um, but significant strides forward in that avenue as well. So all in all, while there have been tremendous challenges and things keeping me away from the microphone, um, it has been fruitful. In some of the strange ways, in some of the stranger ways possible. 
Um, I do continually need your prayers. I will continue, as always, to pray for you all. Um, there have been some significant developments in the news, some things I do eventually want to talk about. Um, you know, I will eventually get to Tucker Carlson and Fox News. I'll eventually get to the FBI, you know, looking into traditional Catholic churches. I will get to this a lot of the secular stories um, because there's so much that has been going on that it all actually has to be woven together. Um, and it's happening at such a high rate of speed that just when I think I'm about ready to say, okay, cool, I can put together episode one, like five or six more things just come bubbling out of the woodwork. You know, none the least of which actually would be the recent announcement of Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and his run for the presidency of the United States, which is going to be kind of a big deal since they've murdered two members of his family. And when I say they, I mean the deep state and quite explicitly the deep state. It has become very obvious. There's a lot going on. There's so much going on, I don't even know if I could keep up, even if I was to de dedicate myself to this full time. God be praised, I don't have to, I have a day job. <laughs> now, with this podcast, with this episode, I'm going to get way over my skis on this one. I have said many, many times, I am not a theologian, I am a mechanic. Um, I'm going to back away from that just a little bit. No, I did not suddenly become a theologian between this podcast and the last podcast. However, I've worked in human intelligence, criminal investigations, battlefield planning, strategy, and I've been involved in the occult. And when I say involved in the occult, deeper than, you know, the occasional tarot card reading. I'll just leave it like that. I've also been an on-again, off-again student of Scripture pretty much my whole life, and in particular, like most occultists, when I don't know what it is, but most of the occultists I know, we like we're all very well familiar with Saint John's Apocalypse, and in truth, so are a lot of Protestants. In fact. If you were to poke a Protestant, your average Protestant, and if you're listening to this and you're a Protestant, then you're going to notice that what I'm about to say is pretty true. Protestants are the most familiar with the four Gospels, St. John's Apocalypse, the Prophecy of Daniel, and Genesis in that order. Now, beyond that, you know, Exodus and some, and like the Pentateuch and stuff like that, maybe the Psalms and the Proverbs. But if you were to really put, like, if you were to really scratch deeply into your average Protestant, they know very well the four Gospels. They know very well the book of the book, the book of St. John's Apocalypse, what they would call the Reve, uh, the book of Revelation. They know fairly well Genesis. They've memorized a few Proverbs. They definitely know Psalm 23. Like, that's pretty, like, that's in there deep. Now, a lot of them can quote for you random quotes from the Philippians and Colossians. Most every Protestant knows the armor of God in Ephesians 6. You know, there are, <clears throat> there, there's more to it than that. 
But if you're looking at in-depth knowledge, your average Protestant knows the four Gospels and the book of Revelation probably back to front. <clears throat> to their credit, because I know a lot of Catholics don't know anything about the book of St. John's Apocalypse. Um, and for that matter, I mean, granted, if, if, if there's a well-read Catholic in addition to the four Gospels, a well-read Catholic knows very well the book of Acts. Acts of the Apostles and probably and probably several and probably a little bit more of the New Testament overall. But if you're a Protestant, it's the Gospels and the Apocalypse, and those like you, I can guarantee you, if you, if I can guarantee you, Protestants know those five books. <clears throat> Occultists may know less about the Gospel, but will definitely know more about Revelation. Why? Actually, I don't know. I know the, one of the reasons why I... Well, no, I didn't even really have a reason, per se, for Revelation for most, most of my time growing up. It was just the most interesting, like, oh, it's the end of the world. I mean, even, non, like, even non-Christians kind of, you know, oh, hey, these things are in the book of Revelation? Wow, that's kind of, you know, the four horsemen? I mean, there are some things that are culturally from the Book of Red, like, there are some things that are culturally embedded from the Apocalypse of St. John. You know, Protestants all know about lukewarm Christians. The only time that I can recall that lukewarm Christians is really mentioned is in the first, is in the opening chapters of St. John's Apocalypse. It's kind of a big deal. You know, the, you know, Christ's word to the seven churches the symbolism of the candlesticks, the sim like like a lot of the symbolism, the horse, the you know the 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 horsemen, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, the two hundred and fifty million man strong, you know cavalry, the the cloud of demons that erupt out of the pit of hell in the end times, like all of these things. For Protestants, like these are very like Protestants know these. Why? Well, in part. Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins with the Left Behind series. It's heretical, but it is a very compelling story. Some of the best fiction ever written is the Left Behind, you know, is the Left Behind series. There are some parts that got a little bit weak. You know, we don't. John Milton's Paradise Lost was far more was far more powerful than anything he wrote after. You know, he, he writes about the fall of mankind and it is compelling and it's enthralling. He writes about the rest of it. Like, everybody, like, I don't know a lot of people who have read all of the Divine Comedy, but everybody who says that they love Dante Alighieri, they absolutely have read The Inferno. And it's kind of that same thing. You know, there's three books in the Divine Comedy and there aren't nearly the number of people who read Paradise who read who also read the inferno or excuse me let me flip the way that's the the syntax of that they're not you know compared to the number of people who've read dante's inferno there are not many people who've read paradise so why most people know the book of revelation really well they don't understand it most people don't <clears throat> 
It only meant the the Saint John's Apocalypse can only make sense to you if you understand that Saint that the Apostle Saint John was not writing to everybody on earth. He was not writing to all self-professed Christians. He was writing to the one holy Catholic and Apostolic Church. And so while a lot of the stuff in there is very easy, like you look out and you go, oh, the World Economic Forum is doing this, and oh, hey, they're doing this, and oh, there's that. Most of the symbolism in the apocalypse is indecipherable if you're not Catholic. The vast majority of it is absolutely patently indecipherable if you are not Catholic. Because if you're not Catholic, you're not part of the church, and the message, I'm sorry, is not to you. Oh, now, granted, you have to be Catholic to be, to have the ability to understand it because you have to have a knowledge of church history of what the Catholic Church teaches to understand what's written in there. To be able, to just to have the door opened. You're saying, well, I can understand the words. Yeah, look. <laughs> Before I get too much further, I'm just going to go ahead and say this. I am an aircraft mechanic. I cannot hand you, Johnny Come Lately, anywhere along the street, so much as a single chapter of the technical data that is necessary for you to work on any component for an airplane and expect you to understand it. You may speak English, which is a requirement to work on airplanes in the United States of America under the FAA. You may speak English. You may know what some of the parts are. You might know what it's talking about and what you're referring to when you're talking about the inside diameter and outside diameter of, hi of hydraulic lines. You might understand something of composites. But if you are not trained and taught specifically what those chains of words mean, in the technical data, you cannot work on an airplane. You will be lost. You, you do not have the lexicon. You do not have it. And it's not your fault. You're just not a mechanic. And you're not an aircraft mechanic. And you're not an expert. In, and, you're not, and you didn't design hydraulic systems. And you didn't design electrical systems. You didn't do those things. So to presume that you could just take a book and start working on airplanes is hubris at a monumental level. And there are billions of people around the earth who believe that they can do that with the book that tells the entirety of human history from beginning to end and tells you about the infinite, ineffable, unknowable word of God. I would argue that the understanding of existence, the understanding of what it means to be, the understanding of why we are here, 
and the understanding of who it is exactly that we serve is far more important and far beyond working on a mere airplane. And there are billions of people who presume that they can do it just on their own. And you say, well, Caleb, you just got done saying you're not a theologian and you're about to tell us a bunch of stuff. Meh. I am only going to correlate things that are going on to that which was written. The things that are going on, I know in detail. That which is written, I kind of have an overview of. And all I'm going to do is correlate what I know for a fact is going on today to what we have an overview of, tied in with some of the things that I've been taught since I've been a Catholic. It's a completely different deal altogether. Now, moreover, I'm a warfighter, I'm a mechanic. I'm not a particularly dumb person, but I'm also not a particularly smart person. And I am a long, long way away from being infallible. So understand that anything that is perfect in this podcast does not belong to me. It belongs to our Lord. It belongs to our Lady. It's under the guidance of my patron saint, St. Michael, and my guardian angel, and the patrons of this podcast. All of the perfections head in that direction. Anything about this podcast that is flawed, oh, that's all me, boss. So with that, don't take this podcast episode as holy writ. Take it with the same grain of salt that you would take any other source of information. And take some time out to study sacred scripture. Take some time out to seek out a good priest, a good teacher, a teacher who actually is knowledgeable about the faith. And if you can't find one, I can think of a good place to start. The only book that I know that you can read it, and it's simple enough that even I can understand it. The Roman Catechism. The Catechism of the Council of Trent. And if you look at the whole world through that catechism, using that catechism as a lens, using the rosary as your light in the darkness, you will be just fine. And you might even get to heaven. And I say might because none of us are guaranteed heaven, and in fact, the vast majority of even supposedly faithful Catholics still go to hell. Because you do have to be in a state of grace when you die. Now, <clears throat> ooh, 17 minutes of intro, 18 minutes of intro, let's, let's hurry up and move on. All right. <clears throat> there are a few principles everybody's going to be fully aware of, okay? So everyone knows the phrase, a time, times, and half a time. Everybody understands, you know, typically uh, the book of Revelation, the, the book of Daniel, or if you prefer, as I do, I actually do prefer, St. John's Apocalypse. Those two books are marked in three and a half year increments. 
a time, times, and half a time. So one year, two years, and half a year. 42 months, 1,260 days. Those are the increments. It's three and a half year increments. All right. This is the cadence. And it's marked off like that because I think, in all honesty, that's just the cadence of human thought. It's the cadence of the, you know, if you want to use the phrase zeitgeist. It's just kind of how things work. There's probably not too much different from the fact that when you look, like presidential elections in the United States of America are held every four years, but it seems like election cycles come at every three and a half. Whether, like, especially this year. This year's election cycle started way early. You can definitely tell they were starting to jump the gun. Or at least it feels like they were starting to jump the gun. I mean, you know, we had one candidate announced in 2022 that he was running for president in 2024. Two years ahead of time. <clears throat> is what it is. Anyway. It looks like, best I can tell, that the cadence of human thought, the cadence, of, and when I say human, I mean collective thought, the cadence of collective thought seems to move in three and a half year increments. And I believe that was actually determined by God, and he just told Daniel and John to write about it. That's my guess. Because the thing that a lot of people fail to understand is that a thing is true when it is true always. At some point, if I haven't already, because it's very hard to remember what that which actually has made it to the podcast in this in this last month and a half, if I haven't said it if I haven't said it already, the fact is is that arguments are only true in extremis. It's not to say that an argument is not true when not taken to the extreme. But if you want to find out whether or not an argument is true, you can draw that argument all the way to its most extreme circumstance, and it will still be true. So what's the most extreme circumstance? The most extreme circumstance is that in cases of rape and incest, you must still allow the baby to live. You must let God do his thing because God is the one who created life. Now, that's a painful thing to hear, but life is served in that extreme. Abortion on demand means murder whenever. And, they did, and that is what makes abortion, like that's the fundamental principle of abortion, is that you get to kill somebody whenever you feel like it. So abortion take to the extreme, taken to the extreme is you get to murder somebody whenever you feel like it, whenever they become inconvenient, whenever it's going to cost you more than what you're willing to pay to have to accommodate that other life. That is the other end of the extreme. That means that the pro-life position is right and good and true in all cases, even the most extreme, and the pro-choice, so-called, argument is always wrong. Why? Because taken to the extreme, you get to find out what that argument is all about. Now, <clears throat> I know you're listening to Radio Free Catholics, so if a Catholic opinion just surprised the daylights out of you and you're like, oh my goodness, I can't listen to this anymore, goodbye. Anathema sit. I'm not worried about it. 
Now, the truth is always true. That's the principle. Doesn't matter how extreme the circumstance, the truth is always true. Doesn't matter how light the circumstance, the truth is always true. So, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, ever present though they are in day-to-day -day life, they are always present. So if you look at the time of Nero, the four horsemen of the apocalypse were present. Who are the four horsemen of the apocalypse? Who are the four horsemen of the apocalypse? Well, pestilence, war, famine, death. Disease, war, famine, death. Ever present all the time throughout all of history. Disease, war, famine, death. Things increase in those increments in a, in a disturbed and diabolically disoriented degenerate society. They start with disease, they go to war, they move on to famine, and they end in death. It is always true all the time. So when they say, oh, the four horsemen of the apocalypse are marching across the earth, yes, this is true, and it has always been the case. However, in this most extreme sense that is fast approaching, and I do believe is actually here, it is most certainly true. Now, what do I mean? Well, let me tie this to the previous point. Three and a half years kind of being the movement of the zeitgeist. <clears throat> In January of 2020, COVID took over the narrative over the whole world. Took over the narrative. In the beginning of January of 2020, you could shift it forward and back a couple of days. In reality, the disease we know escaped from Wuhan in October right around, like, in the aftermath of the Pachamama debacle in the Vatican Gardens. So we can actually pin these events, but if you were to follow the zeitgeist, the zeitgeist started moving in January of 2020, which means, count them off, 2020, 2021, 22, which means we are now in 2023, and how many people are trying to find a way out of dealing with the COVID debacle? now ever increasing and it'll reach its fever pitch in another two months and when i say fever pitch i'm not talking about the covid narrative i'm talking about trying to scuttle that covid thing into the dustbin of history as quickly as possible and get as many people to forget about it as humanly possible i looked and behold a white horse and the rider of whom was given a crown and a bow. And he went riding off, conquering, and to conquer. The white horse, the rider of which was pestilence, given a crown, corona. And a bow. Not a bow and arrows. Just the bow. He was given the authority and the appearance of the power to make it so. Crown and a bow. Went riding off, conquering and to conquer. And the COVID narrative definitely conquered the whole world. And this is actually where the other difference is, is that the COVID narrative conquered everywhere. 
Never before in history have these events been so world-sweeping that it encompasses the full number of seven plus billion people around the world with not one country unaffected, not one human being unaffected, and nowhere on earth where there is a Catholic was unaffected. He who has an ear, let him hear what Christ has to say to the church. And the second angel, the second seal, excuse me, was broken. And I heard a voice say, come and see. And I looked and behold, the fiery red horse. To him was given a sword and the authority to take away peace from men so that they would kill each other with war. I'm not pointing to Ukraine directly. Remember, this is about a zeitgeist. This is about the whole world. This is about the world's perceptions. And so it began, yes, true, with Ukraine. And those were the rumblings. But if you look and pay close attention, we pulled troops out of Sudan, which is falling into chaos, and we put them in Ethiopia, Djibouti, and other places in Africa. Oh, you didn't know that? Oh, you're gonna want to. You're definitely gonna want to go ahead and look that up. Sudan's on fire, and we just dropped troops in Djibouti and Ethiopia, and I believe Kenya as well. Look at where they are in the neighborhood. And tell me this is some kind of coincidence. Remember that we're still kind of toying with operations in Somalia and some others in Africa. But everybody's too busy being focused on Ukraine. And, you know, that's cool for right now. Of course, we are also looking at China and their recent operations in Taiwan or around Taiwan, more accurately. Because they haven't gone in because that would be a whole nother schmeal altogether. But this next month, 25 representatives from the various magnificent defense contractors in America, Lockheed Martin, Raytheon, BAE Systems, etc. I don't know if BAE specifically is going, but the etc. of all of the handy-dandy defense weapons developers, they're getting ready to head to Taiwan to go have a shindig over there with the Taiwanese government and maybe rub some elbows and make some money. Which is, of course, going to inflame tensions between China and the United States. These aren't state actors, necessarily, but they are Americans who seem to be hell-bent on poking their fingers in the eyes of everybody who stands to look. Now, we already have crap relations with Iran. Iran now has slightly less crap relations with Saudi Arabia, even though we did manage to poke the, both of them and get them to hate each other pretty good. Now, I'm not saying that there wasn't some natural, you know, some good fertile soil for that particular discord and strife already. However, weird a little how we've managed to muck up that whole region over the course of the last 20 years, and it looks like here soon those chickens are going to come home to roost. Gee, I wonder how all of that's going to work out. Now, let me tell you something about weather. 
Oh my goodness, what a segue. That was a rocky segue. I'm sorry. This month and next month will be concluding the muddy season in Ukraine. If you're wondering why it seems like everything sort of like everything sort sort of keyed up in the winter and then kind of fell back in Ukraine actually has been quite silent comparatively speaking for the last few months it in large part actually has to do with the fact that they have had some really crap weather and they have very very tender soil which is to say soil that is extremely sensitive to high amounts of moisture that immediately turn it into this boot sucking muck and i say boot sucking not as a slur but as a literal description that when you go to try to walk through that mud the mud can suck the boots right off your feet and that is why there haven't been too many tanks at least not coming from russia because they know better this is really crappy like they they accidentally messed it up back in february of last year Everybody poked foot, looked at it, was like, oh, look, Russia can't commit war, blah, blah, blah. Ha, 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 And they did make the mistake. Maybe. They did also take it very slow and steady, very patiently. They didn't do the, you know, the shock and awe. Those of us in the West, particularly in the Americas, we look and we go, why didn't you just go in and blow them out? Because that wasn't the point. Putin's objective wasn't to conquer Ukraine. It was to force negotiations to get Ukraine to quit being douchey to the Donbass. It didn't work, so, you know, <clears throat> draw back a little bit, reschedule, replan. Those of it, by the way, for the people who have actually been to war and understand these sorts of tactics, we can look, and the, one of the reasons why we get lambasted as, as, like, Putinistas is because we look and we go, well, that just makes sense. They're actually making some smart decisions. And anybody who's telling you that they didn't expect X, Y, and Z, they're lying. Yes, they haven't engaged in this level of warfare in a while. Not since they went into Georgia. How long ago was that? Oh, it wasn't very long ago. And the terrain was a little bit different, but not different enough. Is there anybody telling you that these things... Now, is Ukraine a different culture, a different scenario? Yes, absolutely. But is the warfare conducted in Georgia significantly different from the warfare con conducted in Ukraine? Short answer, no. So they've been here before. They know how to do it. They did, in fact, learn their lessons from Afghanistan... And so they're a little bit more patient, a little bit more sure-footed, a little bit more forward-thinking, you might even say. Anybody telling you anything otherwise has no idea what they're talking about. Now, have they made mistakes in Ukraine? Yes. But the casualty rate is seven Ukrainians for every Russian. So clearly they haven't made enough of a mistake in Ukraine. to be lambasted the way they are by Western media. But then again, Western media also wants it both ways. Oh, Russia's absolutely inept in what they're doing. We're absolutely gonna win. Oh my goodness, he's a threat to the entire West. You're gonna have to pick one or the other. One of those two things is more true than the other. Now, is he, and you might wanna pick your definition as to what you mean by West. 
But that's another topic. All of this I tell you that the weather actually has an effect on what's going on in Ukraine right now. When it will stop having the effect is roughly the end of May, beginning of June, leading into July. And by July, weather in Ukraine is going to have zero effect, and you're going to see something altogether different. And that is something that needs to be of some significant concern. Because we can put the benchmark at the beginning of the riding of the second horse of the apocalypse at, the Febu at February of last year. That's fine. I don't know exactly how these scales measure. What I do know is that we are setting everything up for a world war to pop off in three months. And by the end of the year, it will be undoubtable to anybody that we are in a world war. Now. Oh my goodness, he's saying the end of the world's coming. That is not the same as a world war. That it, and when I say world war in this particular case, it can just as easily mean world at war as it does mean a world war in the conventional World War I, World War II sense. Either of those two things could end up being the case. What I can tell you is that when the, when the second horseman of the apocalypse, when the red horseman goes riding, the whole world will be consumed with war. That's all. That's as far as it goes. The name of the red horse is not world war. The name of the red horse is war. The scope of St. John's Apocalypse is global. Everywhere where there is a Catholic, there is a Catholic who will be affected by the events in the Apocalypse. So the scope is global. Does that mean it's going to be, you know, the Axis versus Allies? No. What it means is that from South Africa to Sweden, from Japan all the way around, following from east to west, all the way around to Hawaii, everybody is going to be affected. Are they going to be affected the same? Couldn't tell you. Is it going to be massive? Beyond belief. The pieces are moving into place right now for a world war. Now, some of these places are going to be lost in civil war. Some of these places are going to be fighting in international fights. Some of these places are going to be the Axis and the Allies all over again. When this happens, yes is, to the, is the answer as to whether or not it's true. Yes is the answer to whether or not they're at war. Yes is the answer. Because when this happens, it will happen everywhere. Now, if the clock started in February of last year, these are, these are conditional caveats. If the clock started in February of last year, then the clock will toll at its end in approximately fall of 2025. If the clock starts in three months, then we have a full three and a half years 
to carry this on, and it won't come to an end until the close of 2026, the beginning of 2027. I don't know when the clock started for that one. I only know when the clock basically started for the first horseman. We cannot know how God schedules these things out or how he stacks them up. It could be three and a half years of pestilence, then three and a half years of war, then three and a half years of famine, and then three and a half years of death. If that is in fact the case, we're really looking at a long time because it will be 2034 until this whole cycle fully wraps up, which is why I don't think that's actually the case. I do believe that you can probably mark it in February of last year as the beginning of the next part of the cycle. Part of the rest of that has to do with the fact that the things that have been going on with the food seem to indicate that we may only have about 9 to 18 months before famine is really in full swing. And I don't know exactly where that's going to settle in, but I can tell you that those of you who are lamenting the extraordinarily high prices of eggs and milk and bread and all of that stuff today, dear family, you ain't seen nothing yet. And it will be a three and a half year cycle because it will take, whenever we manage to button this whole thing up, It'll take at least 18 months for everything to begin to shift in the other direction. And can I tell you how many people will have died? I can assume that by the time we get to the end of the cycle of death, that roughly 5.6 billion people will be dead. Five point six billion people low estimate, will be dead. Now, you're like, but you really need to go into the famine. Do I? High prices, government restrictions, the climate change nonsense, war, all of these things are going to factor into the inability of the world to be able to generate enough food and transport it far enough away so that it can feed everybody who needs to eat. I mean, we even when times were good, we weren't able to do it all that particularly well, and, th and times are about to be anything but good. Can I predict how many people will die in the famine? No, I simply laid the prediction that if this is the final curtain call, what it will look like at the end. What it will look like at the end with 7.5, 7.6 billion people, divide that by four, and that's the remainder. 2.6, 2.7, maybe 2.8 billion people left. In the United States of America, that reduction will bring us down to roughly 36 million? spread out across the fruited plain from sea to shining sea. Might go as high as 50. Because everywhere is going to get hit differently. The cities are not going to be able to sustain themselves, and so they will actually, they, people will flush their way out of the cities, or they will die in the cities. That's just going to happen. If this war that's upcoming turns into a nuclear conflict, and there's a non-zero chance, it's actually a significant plurality, that it will. In which case, the likely targets are going to be the major cities and any place where there are really heavy weapons that can fire back. So, 
places where, you know, the Chinese have managed to figure out, oh, hey, there's really important key military installations over there. They've got nuclear weapons posted there, 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 there. Um, oh, hey, by the way, this is a big military base. Going to have to nuke that one. And um, I don't know, D.C., New York, L.A., San Francisco. Although if I were a real savage, I'd just leave L.A. and San Francisco to their own. Likewise with New York. And I would just take out D.C., because D.C. is actually the center of it all, and so the, you really do need to erase that from the map. But I would leave the rest of the major cities to fester and die. That's just me. I don't know how this is going to turn out. Other strategic analyst, analysts might come to different conclusions, and therefore Russia, China, Iran, all of our enemies, all of the people who will be our enemies by the time this is all said and done, they may choose a different tack. Maybe. What I do know is that the estimate will be 35, maybe 45 million survivors across the fruited plain. There are some places that are just not going to get noticed. It's just a fact. I really don't think anybody's going to drop a nuke on Lake Havasu in Arizona. So they probably will get missed entirely. But that's if this goes nuclear. If it doesn't go nuclear, all we really have to happen have happen is have our transit system, our transportation system shut down in such a manner that we just can't put fuel in the trucks and in the trains and in the planes. And it doesn't have to happen for a very long time. Three to six months is all. And, it, and at the closeout of those three to six months, by the time everything is back up and running to some vague remnant of that which was normal, 150 million Americans will be dead due to starvation. Let me say that again. We're three to six month shutdown where we're unable to transport food, medicine, etc. Either because it hasn't actually come into the country because we import most of that crap, which is surprising to me, but whatever. Whatever the reason, three to six months where we're not able to transport things across the country, and 150 million people by the closeout of that year will be dead due to starvation. Of the 350, 360 million people in one year. You think you've seen pain and suffering and starvation? You have no idea. You think prices are high now? You have no idea. Can I give you a timeline as to when this is going to start? No. I have an idea, given California's psychosis, particularly as it relates to the climate change nonsense and the <clears throat> this current administration's psychosis and antipathy against anything that actually resembles prosperity, that it's probably coming rare, fairly quickly. They've allowed so much of our, our system to degrade to this level that it really is not going to take all that much to push us to a point where it's absolutely catastrophic for the vast majority of people. Now, it's not to say that there won't be many, many pockets of people who survive. There will be people in Texas and in Louisiana and in Tennessee and even in California who will manage to survive and, ma and in some cases even manage to thrive. 
you're probably not going to want to know any of those people. Now, sometime after the famine, or during the famine, it'll it'll probably be after, like, after the closeout of the war, but most definitely after the famine, death gets to ride. And I'll tell you why. Two-thirds of the global population were injected with that poison called a vaccine. Two-thirds of the global population. mRNA technology does not have a very high survival rate. None of the versions of the mRNA treatments have really been proven to be particularly effective. Most of them have been nearly catastrophic, if not completely catastrophic, in their failure. So if you took the jab, good luck. Go to confession. Do some penance fast. Do some penance. Make sure to keep stacking those plenary indulgence one on t indulgences one on top of another. Make sure that you're in a state of grace because even if you took the jab in good faith, it does not matter because this was one of those substances where it was kind of a Russian roulette. And it was kind of a Russian roulette as to whether or not it was going to kill you immediately. But it was less of a Russian roulette over time. And since they introduced the jabs it would seem that the fatality rates seem to still keep climbing. Now, I won't know until somebody does a deep dive as to what happened in 2023 and then carries it forward into 2024. I won't know. What I do know is that based on the models that I saw three and a half years before it really kicks into full swing, And that was before I was putting this thing together. Three and a half years until it kicks into full swing. So, 21, 22, 23, into 24, roughly halfway through 24, really should be the part where you're really going to notice. And for those of you who have not been paying attention... You can do a sweep across social media and look for things like the hashtag died suddenly. And you will find that mixed in with all of those things talked about specific to that hashtag, you will find that there has been a discussion about the ever-increasing number of quote-unquote unexplained deaths. In fact, unidentified causes is now the number one cause of death in many countries, including Canada, the United States, and Europe. And the unexplained, and mind you, leading cause of death with caveats, so within specific age groups. Obviously, if you're 84 years old, you probably died before myocarditis and pericarditis could possibly catch up to you. You were probably actually going to die anyway, and you just happened to catch a cancer or some other inflammation and whatever, like certain certain groups are going to it's going to be noticeable among some people a little bit more than it is others right now the earmark is the two leading causes of death for males age 14 to 39 are fentanyl and drug overdoses 
and unknown unspecified causes. And they seem to be wrestling for number one. Now, these things are confirmable, and I highly recommend that you do your own research. As always, like I said, anything that's, anything that's perfect in this podcast has nothing to do with me. And if it's flawed, that's probably my mistake. <clears throat> now, that, it's really difficult to know if that is an extension of the white horse or if it's the ride of the pale horse. It's difficult. I don't know exactly when they're really going to say, when you can really say that this is definitely the period of the pale horse. Of course, death is always among us, and so it, that complicates things further. Like, death has always been around. It's always been a thing, at least when we're talking about physical bodily death. The problem is, there's another meaning to the, remember I said, what is true is always true. So, what would be the white horse with the other meaning? Actually, what is the other meaning? The other meaning actually is a spiritual meaning. So the white horse, in this case, pestilence, disease. What is disease from a spiritual standpoint? Typically, heresy. That's the disease. For anybody who's been paying attention to Catholic politics, then you will know that at a minimum, beginning in 2020, but most certainly, most certainly, since then, we have been engaged in a war for the faith. Those who want the one holy Catholic and apostolic church to stand up for the eternal faith of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and those who kind of want to move things off to the side and kind of move off and do their own thing. Now, Traditionis Custodis is in fact a strike of war. That, that modu proprio that, that restricted heavily the traditional Latin mass across diocesan churches everywhere... That was most certainly an act of war. Without a doubt, from a spiritual sense, that was definitely an act of war. However, it was also a turning off of the spigot, cutting off of the waters of life to the fields that, ha that need to be made ready for harvest. And since then, most especially, Holy Mother Church, and in this particular case, and when I say Holy Mother Church, I mean the human element amidst the faithful have been starving and starving to death. We have been famished for the inerrant word of God. We have been starved and infected with the disease of heresy because our pastors refuse to feed us, because our bishops refuse to stand up for the faith, because our clergy just cannot seem to live a life worthy of a servant of God. 
And as a result, and it has become, as time goes by, much more clear that we are headed to a time of spiritual death. And if we are to follow our Lord, if Holy Mother Church, and in this case I mean eternal Rome, is to follow our Lord into death so that we can be resurrected, then I must remind you that our Lord was gone for three and a half days. A time times and half a time. Plus or minus on that one. In three days, I will build the, rebuild the temple. So three days, three and a half days. Um, days in this particular sense could mean years. Now, for those of you who are wondering, for those of you who are like, oh, wait a minute, but it can't possibly be as bad as all that. I want you to look up the synod and synodality, and I want you to look up and see, like search it, and see what the documents that have been released from the various continental synods, the various national synods, like the German synod, first and foremost, but even the United States synod, the document that has been released and apparently endorsed, I say apparently because I don't know for sure, but the documents that have been released out of the United States from the American conference, or excuse me, the American synod. And what you will find is anything except teaching about Christ, about our Lord, and about the faith. You will not find teaching about how to avoid sin. You will find that we must accept sin. Things like same-sex marriages and women priests. Things like the acceptance of the transgender movement and the adoption of the climate cult rather than the cult of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And, for those of you who were paying attention at home, the synod on synodality was supposed to last how long? If you run the numbers, it comes out to three and a half years. A time times and half a time. Now, I don't know if this is still the white horse, if this is actually the red horse, or the black horse. The argument can be made for all three. What I do know is that when you're spiritually starved, when, when the human element, the hierarchy of Holy Mother Church make war against the lay faithful and against the faithful in general, the way they have done and are doing, when they spread the disease of heresy the way they have been, there is no other result than death. And in this case, spiritual death. The rampancy of mortal sin, unrepented, unconfessed, that will be the butcher of more souls than at any point in time in the history of the world. Because everywhere, because the only other time that we will have such a worldwide dearth of the Catholic faith, even amidst the presence of the Catholic Church, was a time when the Church had not even spread from Jerusalem. And everyone who had never heard the gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ 
in that time, at least had the chance of limbo. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Now, I can't give you the specifics in the numbers, but I can give some guesses. And those guesses are going to be largely in part to private revelation, in particular Our Lady of Fatima, and not anything that was specifically said in the apparition, because I'm not qualified to judge that one, with the exception of one sentence that actually came after, and it actually came from our, from our Lord to Sister Lucia, when Christ said to her in private revelation that given the popes have chosen the path of the kings of France, they shall suffer the same fate. And in that I can make the inference of 100 to 104 years. But I don't believe, obviously, we're well past the 104 year mark from 1917. But our Lord made the statement, the request first, Our Lady made the request first, and then Our Lord made the statement in 1929 and 1931. 100 years from 1929 is 2029, which gives us a good right limit as to where this is at, or excuse me, a good left limit. If the calendar moving right on the calendar is to postpone and moving left on the calendar is to bring closer and to make earlier, then the left limit of 2029 and the right limit 
of 2033, 100 and 104 years, respectively. If 1931, then it'll be 2031 as the left limit, and 2035 as the right limit, which gives us a window of 2029 to 2035. Now, if January of 2020 was the beginning, and it's three and a half years from one stage to the next, so it's from, 20, from 2020 to, to summer of 2023, and then summer of 2023 to 2027, and then 2027 to the summer of 2030, and so on and so forth, then the furthest limit on that one actually stretches to 2034, which is within our right limit of Fatima. I don't think it's going to be that, so I don't think it's going to go all the way to 2034, 2035. I do believe that the curtain could roll up for us as far as all, basically for all intents and purposes, at 2033. That is my guess. The reason why that's my guess is twofold. One, our Lord was crucified in 33 AD. And so it would be 2,000 years. 2,000 years from then makes perfect sense. Has that sort of biblical symmetry that people have a tendency to look for. Do I know this for certain? Absolutely not. That is what I believe. It's what I personally believe. What can happen between 2023 and 2033? Well, war, famine, and death. Because I am convinced that disease has already happened. They can try and crank out another one. i got to be honest with you. I don't think anything else is going to be more effective than coronavirus already was. I think that's actually metaphysically how coronavirus ended up, how COVID-19 ended up being actually ultimately named the coronavirus. Like I Like there is a biblical symmetry to that. And I do believe that its time is about up. Now, famine. I got to draw back to famine and some things that are kind of necessary to dial in with famine. There are some economic things that are getting ready to happen in the next two to three months. The first one for the United States of America the Federal Reserve is getting ready to fully introduce, fully unveil, and fully expose to the public the FedNow digital transaction system. This is kind of an augmentation to the SWIFT payment system or something else entirely. I don't exactly know. I'm not a financier. You'll notice that when I was talking about the litany of things that I've done with my life, on that list was not accountant, finance manager, hedge fund agent, or whatever. Money matters are not my strong suit. I can crunch numbers all day long. That's perfectly fine. I can read statistics and infer outcomes and all of that stuff. I can read them and I can kind of understand them. But if you ask me to explain them to you, ugh. and when I say statistics, I mean real statistics, like the kind of statistical numbers you read in 
medical studies where they talk about where they talk about um, you know uh, deviations and your percentage points are are always measured in like the point zero two to the point one one where they talk about standard deviations and such. I can read those and I can understand what it is that they're communicating, but I could not explain to you how they came up with those numbers because statistics really was my by far my worst. <clears throat> I don't know what FedNow means specifically and the mechanism and how it works. I do know what it means fundamentally at its core. It means that every dollar, every cent, every every financial transaction that will be made across these United States and possibly around the world will be conducted in what will soon follow the central bank digital currency or the digital dollar or whatever it is, whatever it is they're going to call it. And at this point, it is absolutely immaterial what they call it because last week the International Monetary Fund introduced the Unicoin, and they're simply calling it the Unicoin. It's actually got a much more a much more fun technical name that I really don't care about. And all financial transactions will be based on that international currency, which, by the way, the image that was put on it, for those of you conspiracy theorists out there who know what I'm talking about, the Unicoin's logo, not the little symbol like the trade symbol, but the logo is in fact a unicorn. Wow. Not even trying to hide it. But the reason why the, why whatever it is that they call the digital dollar is immaterial is because all financial transactions worldwide will be made denominated ultimately in that unicoin, that international digital currency, that international digital programmable pay voucher, that gift card, if you will, the New World Order gift certificate. All transactions will be actually ultimately denominated in that currency. So whatever the digital dollar is, it doesn't even matter. <clears throat> yes, the Fed will, will be able to control and basically program those currencies, but it will do so according to the diktats of the international, of the international order, the New World Order, for lack of a better phrase. I don't like the phrase New World Order. It's very, you know, tin hat. And I always forget to buy aluminum foil when I go grocery shopping, so there's none in my house. It's tragic. But that is ultimately what this is. And why is that important? Why did I mention that it was digital? Why did I mention that it was programmable? Why did I mention that it was going to be co controlled from an international from an international location and not within the United States? Well. Allow me to bring you back to the Mark of the Beast passage, and I'm not talking about specifically that which constitutes the Mark of the Beast. It is simply that, well, not yet. I'm going to get to that after I say this, in, in that if you do not subscribe to the narrative and you do not actually cooperate with what it is that they want you to do, then you will not be permitted to purchase or sell. You will not be able to buy or sell. And so that all inhabitants who do not take upon themselves the mark of the beast will not be able to buy or sell. Is the digital currency actually the mark of the beast? No, 
It is the control system. There is no point in there where they say that the mark is actually going to be the token. That there's a physical token. They say the mark of the beast. So those who take the mark of the beast on their forehead or on their hand will not be able to buy or sell. What does that mean? This is one of those times where you really do need to be a Catholic. And not every Catholic even has exposure to this. But if you're not a Catholic, you don't have like you don't even have access to it because you don't have the access of the teachings of the Desert Fathers. You don't have access to the scholastics. You don't have access to all of these people. And that is why you have to be Catholic to be able to have a chance at understanding St. John's Apocalypse. Because St. John said explicitly what it was. He passed it down to St. Polycarp, who passed it down to St. Irenaeus, who passed it down, so on and so forth, down the line, through the bishops, through, through these saints who have given us the unbroken lineage. And I can tell you that it has absolutely nothing to do with the politics of the day because nobody understood what it was that St. John was actually talking about. He simply laid it out as best he could and then they handed it down. So what is the mark of the beast? Is it a physical mark? Well, it was never a physical mark in Rome. And that's important. It was never a physical mark in Rome. It was never a physical mark in the Holy Land. It was never a physical mark in Babylon. It was never a physical mark. The only people who had physical marks put on their bodies in the time of the apostles were slaves, and even they, not everywhere. And slaves were prohibited from most functions. So the understanding that you're supposed to receive some kind of mark on your forehead or in your hand would have been absolutely antithetical. But what the Desert Fathers do teach is that the mark of the beast being received on the forehead and on the hand has to do with thoughts and deeds where your forehead, the mark on your forehead represents your thoughts and the mark on your hand represents your actions. And if that is the case, then it's not about putting a microchip in your hand. Although, you know, the Scandinavians did go a little bit meta by putting that little microchip that where they, you know, they could buy and sell just with a little chip embedded in their hand. They did go meta on that, truly. Somebody probably developed that specifically for that reason. In fact, in most cases, occultists, atheists, and Satanists have a tendency to adopt those things that are quite terrifying to faithful Christians. And I'm going to put Christians in quotation marks in that one, because it could be, you know, the Protestants. It may also be members of Holy Mother Church. It might be our separated brethren in the Orthodox faiths. <clears throat> But Christians would look at that and go, I don't know how I feel about that. You're literally putting something in my hand through which I can buy and sell. And so that was probably chosen with the explicit intent of scandalizing and shocking most of the world. Certainly with the intent of scandalizing and shocking anybody who has ever read St. John's Apocalypse. 
But that was not the meaning. Thoughts and deeds. And this brings us to what it is that you have to cooperate with in order to be able to buy and sell using this new digital currency. You must cooperate with the climate change agenda. You must submit to the trans agenda. You must submit wholeheartedly to all things woke, all things communist. That means you must subscribe to the destruction of the family, live in the pod and eat the bugs. You must subscribe to all of those things for all of the ludicrous reasons. If they tell you there's a disease on the loose and you must get the jab, then you must get the jab in order to be able to participate in the system. And it has nothing to do with the microchip in your hand, although you may save yourself some trouble by putting the microchip in there. It has everything to do with converting you mentally, converting you spiritually, and converting you even if you try to hold true to the faith in your heart while still cooperating with the world, you will condemn yourself by your actions because faith without works is dead. And if you cannot buy or sell because you've been canceled, as it were, then you will probably starve. And that most certainly will contribute to the famine. Not to mention the fact that all of these systems that they're putting into place actually are not going to work the way they think they are. I don't know if you've actually paid attention in the last 100 years, but every single thing that somebody has ever said, we can come up with this system and this system will make X and Y much better for us and will be far better and we can continue to evolve as a species. If you actually look at what it is that they have wrought, they have wrought death, disease, and destruction. Welfare. No-fault divorce. Abortion contraception, climate change. These things go back generations. They put eugenics into place back in the 18... Let me say this again. They put eugenics into place in the law in the 1800s. In America in the 1800s. Contraception was specifically brought into place in America. The fight happened in America for contraception. Why? Racial reasons. It was fought not by the people in the South. The people in the South, I mean, yes, there was a little bit leftover animosity here and there. And there were some people who did feel a certain kind of way because of how everything managed to slowly get forged. But the reality is, is that the most animosity towards particular ethnic minorities, one particular ethnic minority in particular, one most especially, was in the North. States like Illinois were far more egregious than states like Georgia. States like Pennsylvania and Connecticut and New York were far more egregious, and not all of New York, but in particular near the city, were far more egregious about their racism than, say, Louisiana or Kentucky. 
When Abraham Lincoln wrote the Emancipation Proclamation, the caveat that seems to be left out, the thing that didn't, that never seems to get paid attention to, because if we did pay attention to it, you might actually have to consider that maybe Lincoln wasn't the person that you thought he was, is the fact that he wrote the Emancipation Proclamation and it was effective only in the territories that were not occupied by the Union. Slavery was still enforceable under the law everywhere the Union was still in place. And it was for the same reasons that Lincoln... Well, I'm gonna, we're going to step away from Lincoln a bit. It was the same reason that they like to tell us that the war was fought over is actually what spawned the eugenics movement. Because they simply felt that this particular group of people, and not just them, but also those who we believe were native to this land, were simply not worth preserving. And so they took steps, specifically, to eradicate them. Which is why every federally recognized Indian nation is hopeless. And only those tribes and nations that were not recognized, vis-a-vis -vis the Lumbee in the Carolinas, actually rose to prominence and became successful. The rest are locked in their own despotic regimes, while they suck on the teat of Uncle Sam. And this is provably true. And it was true with welfare, and it was true with Social Security, and it was true with every other government program. Everything that they said they wanted to do, they actually undid. We went to war for the last 20-ish years to do what? To spread democracy. And yet, around the world, there is less democracy, particularly in those places where we went and fought the wars. Where is the democracy in Afghanistan? Where is the democracy in Iraq? Where is the democracy anywhere we have set foot? Where is the freedom and the prosperity? I tell you, if you go to Bosnia and Herzegovina now, if you go to Croatia, if you go to Kosovo, if you go to Afghanistan, Iraq, or any other place where we've moved in as the heralds of liberty and democracy, if you go to any of those places, they are far worse now than they have ever been. Even under the supposedly despotic regimes Look at the people of Italy today. Compare them to the compare them to the prosperity levels, the health, the the verve, the joie de vivre that they had under Mussolini. Are they better now than they were then? Look it up and judge for yourself. Are the people who live currently in the region of the Papal States better off now? or even in the time of Mussolini than they were 
when it was the Papal States. Are the cities of Florence and Venice and Milan, those republics, better off today? Or were they better off in their heyday when they were republics, independent and on their own, when they were led by doges? It's an easy answer. Sure, the technology level wasn't as high, but the prosperity level, well, now that's a different story. Are the artisans and craftsmen across the world, but most particularly in Europe, are they better artisans and craftsmen today, or were they better 800 years ago in the medieval times? I would argue they were far better back then. And I don't have to look too much further than the cathedral at Notre Dame, or the cathedral at Chartres, or Canterbury, what's left of it. I don't have to look any further than Prussia and some of the construction that they built in those times. You don't actually have to look that far for fantastic pieces of art. For some strange reason, people tend to forget that all of Europe was artisans and craftsmen all the way back to Rome and that that, that feature never left until until the papal states were no more until there was no more holy roman empire or austro-hungarian empire until in fact it was thriving up until there were no more kings and that's just a fact everything that liberalism has brought to this world has been a disaster. It has been a lie. It has been subterfuge. It has been people tickling your ear in order to tell you what you want to hear while they secretly stick their giant steel phallus in a place where the sun doesn't shine. Taking you for everything that you're worth. And all you actually have to do is just go back and look. Just read. Go back and see the accounts. Yes, for some of you it means you're going to have to actually learn how to read. And some others of you it means you might actually have to learn how to read in another language. But most of it has been translated. It has at least been translated to the modern languages. And the truth is out there to be found, but you just have to look. Thankfully, in Holy Mother Church, you don't have to look far. Because the one Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church has this knack about preserving everything. Good or bad. The records of the Spanish Inquisition are available for all to read. And you will find that the Spanish Inquisition prosecuted unto death approximately 12 people a year for 500 years. 12 people a year. From when the Spanish Inquisition was announced to when it was concluded in 1968, yes, it did run for that long, it averaged a whopping 3,000 people from the 1500s to the 1900s. 3,000 people. Dear family, there were more people than that killed in one day 
when the World Trade Center came down. And you're worried about the Spanish Inquisition? I'd be more worried about Building 7. You know, the one that was across the street, not a completely different physical construction foundation. That still, somehow, weirdly, collapsed. I'd be more worried about that. I'd be more worried about the fact that we started out, most of us in this generation when we were paying attention, we started out right around 2008 at the same time that they were telling us that Fannie Mae and Freddie were perfectly fine and then the housing market collapses. And by the way, the other reason why I think this is going to pop off this summer is because we're only a few more months away from the corporate real estate, from the commercial real estate market, going completely toes up. And when the commercial real estate market goes, there's not going to be anything to hold it up. There's nothing that's going to stem that tide. Because at the same time, what have they been doing? They've been buying houses, single-family homes, and etc., and build it and, and trying to buy up all of this free property. And by free, I don't mean free as in financial, fiscally free. I mean free as in available. <clears throat> Every piece of available property trying to shore up and hedge their bets so that they can recoup the money that they are about to get washed in when the, corp when the commercial real estate market explodes. Implodes, excuse me. And once it implodes, the housing market will go. And when the housing market goes, hey, newsflash, everything else is going to follow along with it because people are not going to be able to afford anything. And if you've noticed, for all of the hiking of interest rates, they have done nothing to quell inflation. They haven't brought it back down. They haven't even brought it under control. It looks a little better than it used to, but it's still completely nuts. And when things cost more and you don't have anything to pay for it with, but some people do because, you know, they've managed to shuttle the money off in places like Ukraine, what do you think that's going to do for most people? But they're doing it supposedly for the people. They're doing it supposedly to help the American, the American people. They're doing it supposedly to boost the economy. They're doing all of these things supposedly to help. And yet... It doesn't. And at some point, you have to admit, it never did. TARP didn't. Iraq didn't. Afghanistan didn't. Ukraine won't. In fact, Ukraine has done nothing but hurt us, and it's been obvious. But it goes back further than that. The World Trade Organization, the World Bank, the IMF, all of those creations, the stock market hasn't helped us. When you look at when the rich really started getting rich and the poor really started getting poor, when did it start? Meh. Right around when the stock market was stood up. And it really became obvious in the Depression. And what did they do? They went after all the wrong stuff. Like they do. They created the Department of Education. How's that helping? How's that working? I mean, seriously, this is the same Department of Education that seems to be backing every one of these purple-haired, obese, nose-ring-pierced, bearded ladies who are pointed their predatory gaze right at, the, at your children. Who have slowly hamstrung the education system so that generation after generation, kids get dumber and dumber and dumber when they're supposed to be adults. When they're supposed to be capable. 
The Department of Education was created at a time when everybody who thought it was a good idea was actually fully educated to the eighth grade, could read and write and do mathematics at an eighth grade level. Why? Because that actually was the end of school. High school was an aberration. High school was where you went if you wanted to get a commission and become an officer. To say nothing of the universities, the universities were truly advanced education. You want proof? In 1944, the average graduate of a high school, 12 years of education from, from supposedly K through 12, were fluent in English, Greek, Hebrew, and Latin. Fluent. Could read and write in those four languages. I want you to ask a single high schooler today if they can even do their multiplication tables. And I will tell you, short answer, no. They can't. This has happened since the creation of the Department of Education. And that's kind of a key thing to focus in on. In 1944, there was no Department of Education. If you graduated from a high school in 1944, it was not a Department of Education school. It was not a public school per se. It's certainly not the way it is today. So they created the public school system and they slowly massaged and morphed it. And as they continued to massage and morph it and supposedly make it better, our education has gone worse and worse and worse and worse. And if you want proof of this, understand that the average person could read all of H.P. Lovecraft's stories and understand every word, including the introductions and at least three of the short stories that were written almost completely in Latin. You pick up an H.P. Lovecraft, the average person picks up a book, the book, the collection of H.P. Lovecraft's stories, and you will have to skip the introduction of not less than five stories. Why? Because you cannot speak Latin. You do not know how to read or write in Latin. And H.P. Lovecraft, who wrote his, his compilation, like everything that's been assembled, he wrote it in the 1920s and the 1930s. Think about that. Everyone who picked up his book could read his book cover to cover. All of his stories, cover to cover, from page one to the last page. Every single person. Except for the stuff that was written, like in particular, the stuff that was very Cthulhu-esque. Like the actual linguistics of Cthulhu. But the quote from Cicero is written in Latin. There's no English translation in any of it. Most people don't even know how. You have to type it into Google Translate to find out what the heck it says. But everybody in his day could read it. Everybody could read the intro and have an understanding of what the theme of the story was about. Even though it was written in Latin, they could look at it, read it, and understand the average person, especially if you were a high school graduate, could read it and understand it. The average person who graduated a high school would understand every one of these words that are about to come falling out of my mouth. Enarche enologos, caiologos prostonteon, caiteos enologos. Every single person 
every person who graduated high school when I would hear that and know that what I just said was in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Since the advent of the Department of Education, that is no longer the case. The military, America's defense force. I want you to do a realistic recap over the last 80 years. And I want you to tell me how many times that our military has actually defended us. Physically defended us. Vietnam, how did that defend us? Panama, how did that defend us? Grenada, Kosovo, Bosnia, Herzegovina, Somalia, Iraq, twice. Afghanistan. How did any of that defend us? Did it protect your children? Now look, I served in the military. I was a paratrooper in the 82nd Airborne Division. I was a criminal investigator. I was an interrogator. I was an asymmetric warfare guy. Specialized operations, not special ops, not special forces, just specialized operations. I was a teacher, a trainer, a weapons expert. I taught more things about combat than most people forget in a lifetime. And I will tell you that in all of my time overseas, I protected not one American citizen. Not counting my fellow comrades in uniform. Not one. There was never somebody who I was standing on the wall protecting who on the other side of the wall was actually shooting at them where they were American citizens, except in the literal sense of when I happened to be, you know, guarding a, a particular outpost. But there were no Americans. There were no ch American children, no American schools. There were no American businesses. There were no American neighborhoods that I was defending. I was not defending California, or New York, or Oregon, or Ohio, or Indiana, or Colorado. I was not defending Alaska or Florida. I was exercising political will in another country, far removed from any of the citizenry to whom I swore the oath. And whether it's Korea or Vietnam, whether it's Panama, Grenada, whether it's Bosnia, Herzegovina, Croatia, Kosovo, Afghanistan, Iraq, or any of the myriad of other countries, 
It cannot be said that the military operations conducted in those locations were in direct defense of the American people. And yet it should have been. Because we are the Department of Defense. We're at this point now where it's all lies. It's just a fact. Everything that they say that they're trying to do, supposedly for the benefit of the people, is exactly the opposite. Now, you could say that they're doing this on purpose, that they're hurting you on purpose. And after a manner from a certain point of view, that is true. But you cannot accuse them of that as being their intent. They are not intent on ending you, per se. Some of them are. The agenda is anti-human, which means de facto. If they had to choose between you and them, they're going to choose you to die. They're going to choose them to survive. They're going to choose their children to survive, assuming they even bother having children, because many of them have drunk the Kool-Aid themselves and refuse to procreate even for themselves. Instead, they fight to try and hold on to their own life. I know of one particular tech billionaire who has spent a considerable amount of money trying to halt his own age. They even say that he's managed to make himself younger by almost five to seven years than his body physically, actually, than he's actually spent on the earth, where his body is supposedly somehow younger. And I gotta be honest with you, for all of his nice physical fitness, and you know, and don't get me wrong, he's got a pretty decent physique, and he's got a youthful-ish kind of face. He's still gonna die. He's engaging in the most futile of exercises. For what? I have no idea. I want to stay young. Hmm. <laughs> Weird. I, on the flip side, <laughs> look in the mirror and see my gray hair and smile. It's just a fact. Could I be in better shape? Sure. Does it actually matter? Mm, no. I'm still kind of physically broken. There are some things I just can't do. I've got replacement parts. My body is not original from the factory. It's a side effect of much of what I've done over the course of my life. Now, I don't have any major replacement parts. It's not like if you ever meet me and we're going to reach out and shake hands and you're going to be shaking hands with a robot. That's not true. But I am, in fact, not all original. I earned it. Insane adventures got me to where I am. And so there are some things I'm just not willing to change. Because if I changed them, then it would erase some of the <clears throat> rather interesting things that I've done. And to be honest, I need those reminders. I need those reminders of exactly how fallen I let my nature get. Because I don't have these permanent thick camel, camel knee calluses on my knees. 
not yet. And I don't have the posture that's bent over from a life spent in prayer, not yet. I feel like I've digressed a little bit too much. So we're going to get back to the topic at hand. <clears throat> Man, in order to hit all of this to make it actually make sense, I did actually have to go really, really far and really, really wide. So I apologize if, like, if you, like me, are completely lost as to how we're going to manage to pick this up and tie this in with the book of Revelation. Because I did, in fact, cover all of the main events. We could go into the lady who's riding the dragon drunk on the blood of the saints. We could do that. The dragon, of course, in that is red and it has seven heads and ten horns. And it has kind of some double, some double entendre in the meaning. Because we could also, when talking about the dragon, because it is a red dragon, we could, in fact, be talking about China. And, by the way, that metaphor in, Revel in Revelation, in the book of St. Saint John's Apocalypse, it does match. It does overlay. Of course, the seven heads and ten horns can also be the, <clears throat> the church on earth. This absolutely bonkers madman hierarchy. But the fact is, is whether or not all of these things are happening in a chronological order, and they are after a manner, which is to say, when you're reading events when you're trying to plot out events, you don't actually say, okay, this happened, then this happened, then this happened. The Lusitania was sunk, but America had already decided it wanted to go to war, and so when the Lusitania was sunk, it had its excuse to engage in the First World War. Did the First World War begin for America when the Lusitania was sunk, or did it begin when the First World War started over in Europe and everybody was just trying to figure out how they were going to get a piece. Did the First World War end for everybody on the same day? No. Point of fact, they signed the armistice while soldiers were still killing each other. Oh, hey, by the way, the First World War was actually a stalemate. In fact, you could make the case that Germany won, and yet they ended up on the crap end of the stick for that whole thing. Weird. It's usually not how wars go. Usually the victor is the guy who takes the most stuff. And Germany had, in fact, taken the most stuff. And then they were pushed and pressed into a position to have to give all of that up and then pay out and pay out and pay out. Which means that the war didn't actually end until the United States had thrown its clout into the ring and forced the outcome that it wanted which absolutely had no basis in reality. It was simply the whim of the United States. So the last bomb dropped was done with a stroke of a pen, and it was done by American diplomats. The Second World War started that same day. How is that possible? Well, easy. We took over for navigate. We took over for sailing the seven seas for Great Britain. We told Britain, Dis dismantle your navy. We'll patrol the seven seas. And someone forgot to include the fact that the 
East India Trading Company, the British Navy was not just a military fleet, it was in fact a merchant fleet, and that was the downfall of the Japanese economy because nothing was going to Japan because America, quite frankly, didn't care. So while the first, so while the Second World War for America technically started-ish on December 7th, 1941, in reality, it started on Armistice Day in 1918. November 11th. Saying, well, but it wasn't officially declared. Who cares? We didn't officially declare the Iraq War. We didn't officially declare the Afghan War. We didn't officially declare the war in Kosovo or in Bosnia or in Herzegovina. We didn't officially declare war in Croatia. We haven't officially declared war since 1941. So if you're going to hold me to that, oh, well, we didn't officially declare it, I'm sorry. Show me another point in history when that mattered. We didn't officially declare war against Spain when they sunk the Maine. Oh wait, they didn't sink the Maine, and that was the lie that started the Spanish-American War. Was some powder keg was just left out to do whatever. Some jackalope and a really crappy ship design managed to contribute to the death of all of those sailors on the USS Maine by accident, and it was blamed on Spain. And so we had the Spanish-American War. And as a result of that accident, what did we get? We got Puerto Rico, even though Puerto Rico rightly belonged to Spain. We got Florida, even though Florida rightly belonged to Spain. And I can argue that there are a lot of Democrats today who would prefer for Florida to go back to Spain. But then we picked up control of Guam and the Philippines. Why? I don't know. I mean, seriously, of what value is the Philippines? So to make the claim that all of these things have to be hard and fixed and fast, I'm sorry, that's just not true. What I know is based on the markers that have transpired, which is the only way that you can properly read Catholic prophecy. Truly Catholic prophecy can only be read in, from the past. From the events that have transpired, they correlate and correspond to the predictions made all the way back to the apostles, all the way back to Daniel, the prophet. They correspond all the way back to the prophecies made by our Lord himself in the Gospels. And the one thing that makes me believe most that we are in the time written about by St. John the Beloved in his apocalypse was the one theme that carried on through all of the punishments in the book. And men cursed God and would not repent. And that 
is the thing that seals the deal in my mind. Because we can make entreaties to all of these people about all of this wickedness, all of this evil. But for some strange reason, when you admonish them that this is not what God taught, when you admonish them that this is not what the church teaches for salvation, when you admonish them that the law of salvation is the supreme law of the church, when you admonish them that you must remain Catholic in belief, especially those who are in places of power, they do not repent. And instead, they double down. They go harder. They push further. That is what seals it. That's what confirms it. All of the other stuff, you know, I could go through line by line and pair and try to peg every single thing, but I'm not convinced that every one of those things is going to happen in order, or if it is currently happening, that I can identify it. But I can pick these big markers that are obvious, they're glaringly obvious, they're staring anybody in the face if they would just take the scales off of their eyes more accurately, if they would just allow God to make the scales fall from their eyes. They would see exactly what's going on and they would step back and look and go, you know, maybe I should turn away from this. Maybe I should step away from the porn. Maybe I should step away from the wanton entertainment. Maybe I should fast and pray instead of going to the sports ball game or going to the movies. Maybe I should consider that every time I curse, I'm actually not doing what God has designed my tongue for. Maybe I should truly understand what it means to blaspheme and decide against it. Maybe the Ten Commandments really were written in order of precedence, starting with the most important, I am the Lord thy God. You will have no other gods before me. You will not take the Lord's name in vain. You will not make for yourself any graven images. You will not do any of those things. By the way, it's actually, um, I am the Lord your God, no graven image, then vain. And yes, I know, for those of you who are like, oh, he's preaching iconoclasm. No, I'm not, because, well... I'm Catholic. I'm just going to leave that alone. If you honestly think that sacred images are blasphemous in that way, then, I don't know, read a book, man. <clears throat> but they head in descending order. Make holy the Sabbath. Honor your father and your mother. Don't kill. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery. I know I got out of order. It's actually don't kill, don't commit adultery. Don't bear false witness. Don't allow yourself to get, or excuse me, don't kill, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't bear false witness. Don't covet your neighbor's wife and your neighbor's goods. And if you follow that in descending order, what you find out is that there are, in fact, levels to how far you can go against God. And you will also eventually realize that every time you so much as envy somebody else's goods, you put, your you put yourself on the throne of God, which is a violation of the first commandment, and you immediately realize that you cannot commit a violation of any of the commandments without committing the first commandment violation. Why is venial sin so bad? It's because even a venial sin ever so briefly puts you on the throne in place of God. 
But these are not things that you can necessarily, like you can be taught them and you can intellectually understand them, but eventually you actually have to walk the path of faith long enough to experience it, to really have it revealed to you, to fully comprehend, to be able to actually fully grasp. Otherwise, what I just said, you go, yeah, we know. And you just move on. Never once applying what was just said to your own life. And before you think I'm accusing you, let's be real for just a minute. I know I've done all of those things. Everything that I just described to you, I described from my own experience. From things that I have done, and in some cases am still doing today. Because that which is true is always true. And so for me, it's not confession through projection, I'm just confessing. And if what I say sounds familiar, it's because you're human too. And so of course it's familiar. The question is, are you going to be like all of those bigwigs at all of the upper echelons, all of those so-called elites? Are you going to be like most of the people who simply go with the flow? Are you going to be like the vast majority of people who have no earthly idea what it is that's actually on the line in this day and age, and are you going to continue to not repent? Or are you going to realize that like our Lord said from his very first sermon that the king of, kingdom of heaven is at hand, that this day these words are fulfilled in your ears? And are you going to repent and believe? For my Protestant friends out there, understand that those two, that phrase, repent and believe, has a little bit more of a mechanical meaning, a conditional meaning. To repent you must do something that displays that you repent. Oh, but I repent. I believe. I'm committed my life to Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. <clears throat> Prove it. Go to confession. Confess to a priest. Receive sacramentally the gift of absolution, the grace of forgiveness in a real tangible sense. And then commit yourself to sin no more. That is repent. Believe, prove it. How do you worship? How do you worship? Do you confess with your mouth or do you perform some sort of act? Do you have to do something in worship? Because, I mean, don't get me wrong. You know, all of those Protestant services where, like, the Pentecostals and the Charismatics and they're singing and hooting and hollering. Don't get me wrong. It's tremendous fun. It is elating. It is also spiritual fellatio. 
It's not worship in a real sense. It's not. It's spiritual masturbation. Really, truly. You want to truly worship, be still and know that he is God. I only know of one place where that exists. And it's not in the Presbyterian church, and it's not in the Episcopalian church, and it's not in the Pentecostal church, and it's not in a Baptist church, and it's not in the Mormon church. I know of one place where you can be still and know that he is God. In fact, it's actually kind of expected. It's part of the rubrics if you're laity. And that is within the walls of the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. But most especially anywhere they celebrate the Mass of Trent. The Apostolic Mass, the Mass of the Ages. Anywhere they celebrate like it's 1899. Or 1799. Or 1699. Or 1599. Or 1499. Conveniently. No joke. There are places that celebrate in the exact same manner that they celebrated in 199, 299, 399, 499, 599, 699, 799, 899, 999, 1099, 1199, 1299. In fact, they celebrate exactly the same as every year except 1999. Find those places, and you'll know what it means to be Catholic. Attend those places regularly, and you will believe. Because God is physically present on his throne in that building, with those people, with his people. Seek and you shall find. For the rest of us, like Our Lady of Fatima said, if we continue to sin, all of these things are going to come to pass. If we want to shorten this time of tribulation, then we need to pray, and we need to fast, we need to do penance, we need to make reparation. Well, there's a slew of sins that we need to make reparation for, but I would start with blasphemy defiling the Lord's day. I would start with those. Start making reparation for those who disbelieve. Start doing penances with the explicit intent of scoring plenary indulgences for the holy souls in purgatory. Because i got to be honest with you, if we can empty purgatory, we might be able to get enough intercessors to really pour out grace upon the earth. 
But the only way we're going to empty out purgatory is if we do the if we do the deeds. See, it's that faith without works thing. Huh. I don't know how long this is going to last. I do know we can shorten it if we fast, pray, and do penance. You can plan for the starvation and the famine that's coming, but i got to be perfectly honest with you, most of us are starving anyway. We were starving even though we have plenty of food to eat. Our plates may be filled with, you know, meat and mutton and potatoes. But the fact is, is most of us have empty souls that have not been adequately fed in decades. Some have never been adequately fed. Millions of souls out there waiting to be resurrected and brought into the light of grace. You want proof, further proof, that Protestantism might be not the best way to go? In the Protestant Bibles, it reads, For all men have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But a Catholic believes, All men have sinned and need the glory of God. And the Catholic version of that scripture is true. Far more true, in extremis, than the Protestant. I know I have Protestant listeners. I know, I know there's specifically some people who actually listen, who know exactly who I am, who have met me face to face. We've shaken hands, we've broken bread. And I know that it seems like I'm beating you about the head and neck. But the reality is, is I really just want the salvation of your soul because that is the supreme law of the church. And however you get there, just get there. For the rest of us, I hope I made the case. This has been a very long podcast. This could have been much, much longer. I could have actually added in deep dives in all of the current events that actually correlate with this on top of all of that. This was just the overview so that you can have this as the lens when we go through the the, the rehashing and, and recollection of all of the of all of the current events that have actually happened over the course since Ash Wednesday up until today. <laughs> this was the overview at two hours, three minutes, and thirty seconds. <clears throat> Is it any wonder why I haven't been recording as much, why I haven't been podcasting as much? It's because I literally have this much to say about every single topic. <clears throat> With that, pray for the church. Pray for each other, for your people, your nation, both in nativity and in location. And pray for us in media in social media, and most especially in Catholic social media. Because all of us need to be bringing this to light. You don't have to agree with me to say, oh, we're in the end times. Yes, I believe that we are in the end times. I do believe 
that we're about to wrap things up in a very fantastical way. Terrible as an army arrayed in battle, you might say. But it might only be the end of my world and not yours. And if it is the end of my world, please pray that I get my sorry behind into heaven. And I will do the same for you always. This is Caleb the Mechanic with Radio Free Catholic. May God bless you and the Virgin protect you. In nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian-developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.